You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Don't be all else to me, save that. I invite you to join me for a word of prayer. O Heavenly King, O Comforter, the Spirit of Truth who is everywhere present in filling all things, treasury of good things and giver of life. Come and abide in us as we reflect upon the words of Scripture and the mystery of who you reveal yourself to be. Guide us that we might rightly praise you who are beyond the need of our praise. That we might be drawn to you, strengthened and conformed to your likeness. This we ask in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Alyssa, I'm taking control. (laughs) So Holy Trinity Sunday is uh, a Sunday that people can learn to dread in the church's life. I'm impressed that we have so many people here on Memorial Day weekend. That's awesome. Uh, But uh, Holy Trinity Sunday can be one of those Sundays where you can count on the pastor to preach as unintelligible a sermon as possible. Um, Trinity, Trinitarian theology is excessively hard. It's the hardest part of, the hardest kind of theology as my Tuesday Bible study got a taste of this past Tuesday. Um, And if a pastor can, they like to prove they have some mastery of it. And so you end up with uh, sermons that preach God as some sort of formula to be memorized. Um, and, and it's almost like somehow the rightness of our doctrine will save us. Um, or God preached as a math problem to be solved, like 1 plus 1 plus 1 equals 1. But the experience of Christians throughout history of walking and living with the God who reveals himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is very different. If you go and type into an internet search walking with God and you select out for the Christian answers to that, you're going to see images appear like this. Images that speak of a living relationship with God. Today, in our Gospel reading, we hear probably the most famous passage of Scripture. When I had to do a funeral recently for a friend from high school's wife, my best friend from high school was back in visiting with his wife, and his wife said, she says, well, she said, you know, I don't have much Bible committed to memory, but I do know John 3.16. (laughs) That God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him might not perish but have eternal life. Now, John, who adds that sort of commentary note to Jesus' words, in his epistles will go even further and say to us, God is love. 
God is love. And it behooves us to slow down a little bit. And I think this is a good way to understand the Trinity, a way in which it affects our daily walk with God. To slow down and reflect on this as the key aspect of what it means to understand God as Trinity. Now these pictures are all over Christian pop culture because they make us feel good. They help us not only understanding, here you see that the focus is always Jesus, of course, because He is God with us, He is Emmanuel, but they make us feel good about our relationship with God, give us sort of warm, fuzzy feelings. But the last thing we want to believe is that when the Bible says God is love, that means what God has for us are warm, fuzzy feelings. God certainly has affection for us but the love of God is as far beyond our love for Him and our feelings as He is above us. Not too long ago, there was a, a movie that, that made fun of, in, in actually a very poignant way, the uh, American Christian tendency to flatten the love of God into mere sentiment um, with this iconic um, piece of statuary, Buddy Christ who gives you a big thumbs up and a wink and a smile whenever you, you, you mess up and he's just in there wanting to be your, your bud. But that's not what the Bible means when it talks about God being love. The persistent cries of the Bible, the, the affirmations that Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead as we say in the creeds, is a testimony against an idea of God's love that is purely unconditional positive regard. <laughs> Neither is the love of God the love of a helicopter parent, as they call them nowadays, where God is terrified that we're going to skin our knees, so He hovers over us trying to prevent us from growing up. There are numerous passages in the Scripture, both Old and New Testament, that exhort us to grow up in the Lord. Yes, we are utterly dependent upon God at all times and in all ways, and we need a childlike faith that trusts in God, but we don't want a childish faith that says, you know, I like to sin, God likes to forgive sins, that's a match made in heaven. <laughs> So we want to slow down and think about what it means when the scripture tells us that God is love. That most fundamental affirmation that we teach our youngest Sunday school students. Love. In the New Testament, in the, the Greek, the language of the New Testament, there are four words for love. That's because the Greeks thought a lot more about love than we do. Our culture has a slogan that says, love is love. That means we don't want to think about this very deeply. <laughs> but the Greeks thought very deeply about it, so they came up with four distinct words to describe love, four dynamics in human love that they could recognize even with their unaided reason. The first of these, they went by the, the term storge, and I'm going to use um, 
C.S. Lewis's interpretation of these words because his book, The Four Loves, is by far the easiest read you'll ever have on this. Anyone, completely accessible to anybody. Storge is best translated into English as affection. Okay? It's a natural kind of empathy, one human being to another, but it's not rooted in common experience. When my children were born, and my son did not sleep through the night till 19 months. And we were in this endless cycle of, I'm drained, I'm exhausted, and the kid needs feeding, and the kid needs changing, and the kid needs feeding, and the kid needs changing, <laughs> and I need sleep, and the kid needs feeding. <laughs> And Lisa and I were, we, we really almost didn't sleep in the same bed because we were tag teaming for 19 months <laughs> attending to him because he slept in two hour intervals. It was fun. I had affection for my son. A natural affection. But it was not rooted in anything we had in common. <laughs> what he wanted was food and change and food and change. <laughs> I not only wanted sleep, I wanted something that what resembled real conversation with a real human being. When he, when he was in utero, my, it's still a family joke that, um, that they were telling people back then, they, they said, you know, that kids in utero recognize the, the voice of the father more quickly. So I was reading to him, and I was reading to him, Introduction to Objectivist Epistemology. <laughs> I guarantee he came out with no interest in that subject. <laughs> So our affection, this natural human empathy that children have for parents and parents have for children and we each of us have, even for strangers, the compassion we can feel when we see someone being treated badly even if we don't know them. That's storge, a natural human affection, a sort of baseline of love. And then, of course, there's philia. Now, we're, we live in Pennsylvania, so we're very close to Philadelphia, right? The city of brotherly love. Well, this language, philia, this, this word, uh, became known as brotherly love because it was best exemplified by two soldiers who had seen combat together. This is rooted in common experience and common interest, and it's best translated as friendship, a friendship kind of love. Every healthy marriage has a huge element of this, right? Every relationship has this dynamic that is this one that we cherish. Sometimes you just meet somebody and things click because you have similar interests. My, my best friend was in for that funeral uh, last week and, um, you know, he's the one who taught me to play guitar 30 years ago. So what do you think we spend our time talking about when the funeral is over? Who are you listening to? I'm listening to this. Blah, 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 blah. 30 years and we're still in the same groove. Friendship love. Then there's the one that our culture is obsessed with right now, eros, from which we get the English word erotic. Romantic love, romance. This encompasses sexuality, but is far greater than sexuality. It encompasses all the things that draw you and attract you towards somebody in a romantic way. And then, and then, there's agape. And this was the word which was almost never used prior to the writing of the New Testament. It was used occasionally. They recognized it. The, the word existed in Greek. But there are very, very few references to it 
in ancient Greek literature because it was so rare. And this is the love of sacrifice. Of one person giving themselves for another. Now, this type of love was completely unique compared to the other three. Because affection, friendship, romance are all rooted in feelings. Sacrifice is not. You may have the sense that you would give yourself for your children or your spouse, but until you are in the middle of the act of giving yourself for your children, your spouse, your friend, your comrade in arms, until you are in the act of laying down your life for them, you have not experienced agape. Sacrificial love needs to be acted out. It is love in motion that's always moving from the beloved, sorry, sorry, from the lover to the beloved. It's always in motion and it's not rooted in our feelings. And when the Bible, when St. John says to his flock, God is love, it's this last category he chooses to use to talk about the love that God is. God is the love that is always pouring itself out for the sake of the beloved. Now, as this, for the rest of this sermon, I want you to, to, to key in on this word sacrifice. So I'm going to give you a working definition of it that's probably the most easy to remember one I've ever heard. Very effective. Sacrifice means giving something away that you cannot get back. You cannot get back. If you sacrificed an animal in the ancient world, whether in the temple of Israel or to some other god, you were not taking that animal home with you. It's gone from the flock forever. We sacrifice our time our talents and our treasures, our possessions, as we say, in our offertory prayer. We give them to God with no intention to take them back. This is the kind of love that God has. God is always giving Himself away so that when we look at the sacrifice of the cross, which is central in our Christian vision, and we hear the Apostle John in his gospel say, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. Another way we could easily translate this sentence, it wouldn't be a strict translation of the words, but to catch the sentiment of it is that God so loved the world that he sacrificed his only son. God gave his son away and never got him back. The same way again. Prior to the incarnation, the eternal Son of God had no human nature. In the womb of Mary, He received our human nature and He bears it with Him still as He sits at the right hand of the Father. The risen Christ, when He met the disciples, still had holes in His hands and His side and His brow was still wounded. God never received His Son back in the same way that He gave them to us. This is what it means 
to love as God loves. And that son, that son did some really strange things that this early Christian community had to reckon with. He said some outrageous things. He said things like, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And he did some outrageous things. Like leaning over and not just healing a man, but saying to him, oh, your sins are forgiven. Go. To forgive sins was the prerogative of God alone, and everybody knew it quite well. So this guy apparently thought he was God in the flesh. Well, there's increasing scholarship that demonstrates that at least part of the Jewish community of Jesus' day might have actually been expecting God to do that at some point, to come in the flesh. But when this guy who believed he was God in the flesh and God certifies that that's the case by raising him from the dead, they notice he did something else too. In addition to doing things that God alone would do, he also talked to a God he called Father. Now, he didn't say God was like a father, the way the prophet Isaiah would say, but addressed him directly as father, and in fact, addressed him in terms of intimacy that presumed a relationship that no good Jew would have presumed to have with the God who thundered upon the Mount of Sinai. Referred to him in intimate terms that we would almost translate as daddy, when he said, Abba, Father. And, and he spoke of another who seemed to have the full authority and power of Godhood, who he in alternate times called the promise of the Father and the advocate, the defender, the comforter, the spirit. And yet, they knew, because they were good Jews, that God was one. This was the fundamental affirmation of their faith. So if this one who is God in the flesh is talking to one he calls Father and of one he calls Spirit, what's going on? For 300 years, the church would proclaim the truth that they had learned from Jesus. They would speak it in their hymns. They would, they would sing it in their hymns. They would speak it to one another. Pastors would write letters to their congregations and say things like, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. They lived it. They proclaimed it, but they didn't have a way to describe it. Until about three centuries after the resurrection of our Lord, they came up with this word, a new word, Trinity. A new word, not in the New Testament, that described a reality more ancient than the universe itself. Because if God is love, here's a question that they had to ask themselves. If God is love in motion, if God is always moving, His love is always proceeding out from Him, the lover, out to the beloved... Who was he loving before the creation story we read about in Genesis 1 and 2? Who did God have to love if it was just God? Before all things seen and unseen were created. The self-giving love that is the very definition of who God is is the Holy Trinity. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
constantly have from before the beginning of time, from all eternity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have been giving themselves each to one another in total self-surrender. The Father gives Himself to the Son and the Spirit without holding anything back. The Son gives Himself to the Father and the Spirit without remainder. The Spirit gives Himself to the Son and the Father and counts not the cost. This is who God is. God is one who can give Himself in love because God is three. That's the meaning of all the complex theology in the Latin that we inscribe in our stained glass windows and the incomprehensible books and sermons we write and read as Christians. This is the baseline reality. When we say God is Trinity, we mean not that God loves, but that God is love. It's Memorial Day weekend when we honor those who have fallen in the service of our country. We'll say things like they gave the last full measure of devotion or if it's a Christian funeral when they're buried we'll quote the words of Jesus that greater love hath no one than this that they would give their lives for their friends, their fellows. You know, there's something there's something about that act of sacrifice for the sake of another that we recognize as holy, even if we don't know the Christian gospel. Because we're made in the image of God. And when someone lays down their life for someone else, that's the most God-like act they can engage in. And it, it evokes an echo of response from those around us. Even those who do not know the gospel recognize something incipiently holy about the act of self-sacrifice. Sacrificial love draws our praise and our awe like nothing else. We call these people service men and women because that's what self-sacrificial love looks like. It looks like service to one another. That's why this is called a worship service, folks. Who are you here to serve? You're going to serve each other, especially if you're helping with something, but you're here to serve God. You're here to give something to God that you can never take back. Your time, your talents, and your possessions. And you're doing it because God gave Himself for us. The sacrificial love of God in Jesus Christ is shown to us most clearly at the cross. But equally, Christ was giving himself in sacrificial service to his disciples the night before he went to that cross when he knelt down and took the worst job in the world at that dinner and washed the feet of his disciples and then taught his followers that the greatest among you will be called the servant of all. To give ourselves in self-sacrificial service one to another. As the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit give themselves to one another is what it means to imitate Christ. And for we who do it badly, 
We're so grateful that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have forgiven our sins. That they do lift us up. That the Father so loved the world that He gave His only Son. That the Son so loved the world that He gave His life a ransom for all. That the Spirit so loves the world that He lets our, He empowers our hearts to respond in faith to this message. And now, forgiven, redeemed, beloved, we can learn to make every thought captive to Christ little by little as we grow more into His likeness by serving one another. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Blessed Heavenly Father, we thank You that You gave Your Son, that You so loved the world, the cosmos, all of creation, that You gave Your Son for its redemption. Blessed Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your obedience to the Father and for Your great love for us that led You to lead, give Your life as a ransom for us and Spirit for indwelling our hearts, for bringing us to Jesus and Jesus to us and helping us to trust you in faith. Draw us deeper into this reality and teach us to walk as servants. Help us to be filled with your light and your love that we may give glory to you and in our acts of service draw others to love you and this message of love that you give to the world. This we ask in your blessed and holy name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that thou art. Be thou my best thought in the day and the night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence my life.